following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Hey there, and welcome back. This is Elise Cortez. I'm so glad to have you with us. If you were here last week, you got to hear about Chef Tara Anderson's journey into becoming an entrepreneur and all of the bumps and bruises that come along with such a, such a thing. Uh, she helped us understand what it was like to leave a perfectly good job that paid really good money and good benefits and, and jump into the world of living and working on her own. She'd been at it for a, a couple of years, and she narrated some of her wins and some of the things that she was changing as a result of the marketplace response. And it was a real conversation, which is exactly what I was looking for, because we all know that jumping into the world of living and working on your own isn't easy. And it was important that she didn't narrate it being so, and she didn't. So there was a lot to learn about that. And when she left her last job, if you know anything about the research I've been doing on meaning and work and identity, and have looked at my website, the modes of engagement, she would have been in what I would have called the wanting more but comfortable mode of engagement when she left her work. And what she's trying to do now is get to a place where she's what I call authentically impacting society. She has a message. She wants to implement it. She wants people to hear it. So that's what she's trying to get to. So this week, we have a guest that's in a, at a totally different place, uh, a place that I think a lot of people would like to be in their work. Um, I know his story, so I would say I would call him in the living my purpose mode of engagement. Um, he is really somebody who has found a way to do something a lot of us would like to do. He's found a way to turn a volunteer hobby into a paid vo- vocation, and he loves it. He's having a great time with it. So Marty Ruiz, welcome to the show. Thank you, Elise. So what's the story here? You're in a good mood. You came hopping in here, singing a song. Why are you in such a good mood? I sure did. Well, I sing for senior communities. And, of course, this is Valentine's week. And next week happens to be Mardi Gras. So they're <laughs> actually three days apart. So because of the nature of what I do, there is an awful lot of festivity going on in these senior communities. So I've had fun singing all sorts of Valentine's songs and joyful songs and just having a great time interacting with these seniors. You know, and what's really funny to me is I know you mentioned when you when you came in here that you, like the rest of the planet, is suffering from allergies. And yet here you are still out there singing a song and having a good time. You doing all right? I am. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I do hear your voice. I know it's a little more low than usual, but it sounds raspy. It sounds well, good to me. I like maybe it. Maybe I'll do some Jimmy Durante or some Louis Armstrong oh, later. You won't get off the show without <laughs> singing something. I just I have to tell you that right now. So, so for the purpose of, of the people out in the listening audience who don't know you, tell us what it is that you do. Elise, I entertain senior citizens. And how do you do that? Are we talking somersaults, jumping jacks? No, I wish that I was that young and nimble, but I am not. 
what I get to do is I go into various senior communities throughout the Metroplex, and I do one to one and a half hour programs of songs that are very personal and very meaningful and very time-oriented for the seniors that I'm singing for. What do you mean time-oriented? What does that mean? Well, if you look back at every one of our ages, there is a time in our life that I like to call the sweet spot. I refer to this time as a point in our lives when we're in our late teens, up into our 20s, and maybe even our early 30s. These are the years in which we find how to become independent. Mm. We start lives. We finish high school. We begin college. We meet our sweethearts. We marry. We have children. We buy a car. We buy a home. We find a job. All of these things have what I like to refer to as the soundtrack of our lives. Mm, I love that. Think about the music that was playing on the radio when you're with your first boyfriend. Whatever it was, whenever you hear that song, it might take you back to that very moment in time. When I'm working with these very precious seniors, I try to figure out what would be the best type of music for me to do. Now, I realize this is a really broad question with a broad answer, but I'm going to try to consolidate it. I do the math. Most of the people I'm singing for are anywhere between 75 and, let's say, 95 years of age. If I go back in time and try to find what years they were 15, 20, 25, 30, maybe 35 years old, I can actually isolate the songs that were very popular and got the most airplay during that time in their lives. Mm -hmm. So I investigate. I go to the Internet and find what were the greatest songs that had the most powerful hooks and had a tremendous amount of impact on society at that time. Those are the songs I'm looking for. You know what's great about that, and you brought back a memory for me just as you were saying that? Obviously, my my genre is the 80s, right? That's when I was going to high school. I remember the dances. I remember my dates. Oh, I did have just a couple of dates, just two maybe. But I had a <laughs> great time. And you're right. 80s is it for me. That's what it is for me. So what genre are you singing for your community? Well, the genres will vary. One of the things I try to understand and be very mindful of, Elise, is to pay attention to what songs have the greatest impact. Now, every community that I sing for will have a different personality. It's just like people. Some communities may prefer a lot more country and Western. Yep. Some may like more pop and jazz. Others that are a little bit more involved will like a lot of sing-along. But one thing that I found that's very interesting is that many communities like a nice smattering of gospel and spirituals. Mm. Because we're talking about a time when going to church and having that whole element in our lives was very valuable. So I can go into almost any well-known hymn I can do. I'll fly away when we all get to heaven in the garden, how great thou art. And the demeanor of the room will change. Mm. Maybe the song I sang before was Blue Moon by Frank Sinatra. But whenever I do a spiritual song, there is a moment of grace that will just manifest. And everyone will start singing along. Some of these people are memory care some may be assisted living, some may be independent living, some may have dementia or memory care issues, but it doesn't matter. If I find the right song and if I can make that connection, then that's where I'm getting to do the work that I'm supposed to be doing. And what are you supposed to be doing? You know, I have to ask that question. With a lead like that, I got to ask a question. It's all about making the connection. 
For me, there is nothing more valuable than making the connection. And this is something that I learned through years of working with Toastmasters and public speaking. We can have all the best information in the world. We can have all sorts of answers and we can have moments of enlightenment and things that will inspire people. But if we don't know how to make that genuine connection, then we're missing an opportunity. Toastmasters gave you that. I was in Toastmasters for years and I don't know that I really understood that. You got that, though. I'm still learning every day. <laughs> I, I have a long way to go. Yes, don't we all? Don't we all? Well, along those lines, I, I do want to hear, and I, I want to. I'll take us back again to what you're currently doing with with your your senior group. But I do want to understand you. You've been an artist your whole life, all 62 years. Uh, but what got you here today, and this doing this kind of work today? That is an excellent question, Elise. I, I'm going to have to say it's a progression of several things. If I was to show you every job title that I've had, and there's basically about four, five careers that I've had since I was 17, each one of them has evolved and basically led and assisted me to where I am today. I started selling 45 RPMs for a department store in Houston. I worked in the record department. The record department, the when record things such existed. Department. Mm-hmm. I sold 45s, cassette tapes, Eight tracks and LPs. Oh, do we all remember those, <laughs> listeners? Oh, my goodness. I, I'm talking about the late 60s. And then from selling records and, and being in the, the music business, as one might call it, I started selling men's clothing for a department store. And so my whole life changed a little bit because now I was selling something that was slightly more personal. And then from clothing, I actually evolved into selling very high-end jewelry. Mm-hmm. I worked for some stores in Houston. There was one called Sackowitz. Those of you who are Texans out there probably remember the Sackowitz store, which was Houston's version of Neiman Marcus here oh, in Dallas. Gotcha. Very high-end, very upscale clothing and jewelry. So I had to learn the patois and the dynamics of how to sell fine jewelry. So I worked for Sackowitz. I worked for another department store that was called Cross Jewelers. And then I finally ended up working for an international jewelry company called Fred Joyer. They were out of Paris. They had a store in Houston, one in Dallas, one in Beverly Hills, and one in Los Angeles. So I had to really understand how to market extremely expensive goods. And then from jewelry, I changed careers into something very different. I became a registered massage therapist. And this was probably the first clue I had that I needed to be doing something more than just selling a product or a commodity. I needed to learn how to make a difference in people's lives. And when I started doing massage therapy, it was also the first time that I had become self-employed. I'd always received a check from someone else, but now I had to learn how to market myself, how to explain what I was going to do and how to do it well. That's a huge change. Oh my gosh, that's huge. Thank you. It was a complete flip for me, but I had always been touch oriented. My family is Hispanic and we're big huggers. Right. So I had always been very touch oriented and I had no problems with being able to touch a person's arms or back and actually go in and massage their muscles. It was a, a very different type of work for me. But whenever I would finish working on someone, a man or a woman or a senior even, and I could see the sigh of relief on their faces and they would say, I feel so much better. I feel like I don't even feel my back anymore. It feels that much better. I I felt as though I was doing something that had real value Mm -hmm. and had real purpose. And it gave me a sense of doing something meaningful. I wasn't just selling products anymore. 
I was now being of service for the first time in my life. But how did you depart from that, selling goods to massage? That's pretty remarkable in and of itself. Boy, I wish I had a real succinct answer for that. (laughs) But as I was mentioning a moment ago, I had always enjoyed working on people's shoulders and necks because I knew I had very strong hands Mm. and I knew that I could help somebody feel a little less pain in their shoulders and their back just by working on them while they're sitting on a chair after dinner. It was just something I enjoyed doing just for fun and people enjoyed it, but never would I have ever believed I would have made a lucrative career as a registered massage therapist. It just, you went to the bathroom one day and it came to you in a light. It just came to me. (laughs) Wow. Okay. All right. So after massage, then what? Well, I had always been an artist, and and I want to go a little bit more into this later as we evolve in this conversation, but I've always been highly creative. Even as a child, I used to draw sports cars. I would draw faces of men and women, and I've always been inclined to really want to draw, but never had I thought that someday, someday, I might actually have a career as an artist, as a full-time artist. So I had started doing renderings of abstract paintings and just making little pieces of artwork on paper and paper bags. And the next thing you know, someone told me, Marty, you should consider framing some of these and perhaps showing them at some galleries or applying to some art shows, take some really good photographs of these images and see how they fly. And sure enough, I evolved once again from my career that I really enjoyed as a massage therapist and became an artist. And for a while there, I was actually doing two things simultaneously. I didn't want to let go of my massage practice because I had honed it. I had worked very diligently on maintaining a clientele and developing that clientele. I was selling gift certificates. I was selling packages of, if you buy 10 massages, one of them is free. I learned a lot about marketing from my years of retail, which actually helped me when I became a self-employed person. Mm -hmm. I would have liked to have had that advice. Thank you very much. Uh, Well, you know, I think this is valuable. In every step that we take as whatever we're doing for a living, find the best of what you do in that career and let it serve you in what you do down the road. Everything has value. Even if it's not the same job you're doing, it may still have something that will apply. There will be a gift in it. So figure out what that gift is and learn how to translate it into your next career. That is such great advice, Marty. And I couldn't agree more is that we tend to think, oh, I did this kind of a job for so many years. Now I'm onto something totally different. And you want to sort of erase that time. And yet all that time and all that experience means something and gave you something and made you who you are in some ways. So I love that advice. That's fantastic. Thank you. Okay, so after you be, then you went into, after massage, you went and became an artist. Is that what you said? Oh, yes, there's more. Oh, wait, wait there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Okay. While I was doing art, it also occurred to me, why don't I start doing small pieces of art and perhaps put them on the front of note cards, like little greeting cards? Like anybody would come up with that idea. Sure, it makes complete sense. Well, of course, because <laughs> chances are somebody is more likely to buy a $5 card than a $1,000 painting. There's just a few more people out there that might that might have that ability. So I started doing cards out of found objects. I would take painted pieces of paper. I would go to rummage stores and vintage shops and buy little buttons and interesting tchotchkes. And I would do these one-of-a-kind collages on every card front. And I started going around to different stores in Dallas. And this was back in the, gosh, late 80s. And I would go to various stores like Ken Knight, 
carte. I even had the chutzpah to approach the buyer at Neiman Marcus, and they did buy some cards from me. But one thing that happened, and I never anticipated this, was that if you're going to sell cards to a department store that has multiple stores, they don't want to buy just a one of a kind. They want to buy 12 of a kind, and they want to buy six dozen for each of their 12 stores. So now I had to completely reinvent how I was creating my work. So I started looking for things that I could buy in multiples. Interesting little objet dart, certain types of pieces of paper that I could cut and reproduce, even Xerox little pieces of music or a photograph of an old man and perhaps do a Father's Day card or do a Valentine or a Christmas card. So now I had to learn how to collate the various steps that were needed to make 500 cards of a kind rather than one of a kind. And I think I remember how you said you did this. Among other things, you enrolled your friends, unsuspecting Uh friends, into helping you. Is that right? (laughs) Yes. Those friends of mine who are out there who I forgot to say thank you to, (laughs) thank you, thank you, thank you very much for all your Saturdays that you gave up so lovingly. I did hire many of my friends, and I would lure them with lunch and a glass of wine after we finished or I would make sandwiches or have cappuccinos. And I would actually have a group of three or four people gather around the dining room table. And we would have various steps that each one of us would do. I would start the card. It would be handed to the next person. They would apply a little piece of paper with a glue stick or some double-sided tape. They would then hand it off to the, the next person. and They would apply something with a hot glue gun. Sorry about your burned fingers, all my friends who handled the hot glue gun. And then they would hand it to somebody else who would apply another element. It would come back to me. I would sign it and put it in a clear acetate sleeve with a little biography in the back and an envelope. That was card number one. We would then repeat this maybe 400 times in three hours. Oh, my word, Marty. You do have friends. You must have friends. Somebody must love you. Uh, We're almost time for a break here, and we'll get the rest of that story. But before I send you off for for a break here, if you would, do something for me. Since you know that I really care about how people experience work, I love to find out where people are in their work. What does it mean to them? I'd love for you to do that, too. I'd like you to figure out where you are in your work. And so if you mosey on out to my website, EliseCortez.com, and go to the Research Books tab, if you scroll down and go past where it says Read More, there's a Modes of Engagement document. If you if you click on that, it'll open a PDF and allow you to actually read the 15 Modes of Engagement. So while we send you away on break, a little homework for you. Go read it and see if you can discover what your mode of engagement is. And after the break, we will hear more about Marty's story, how he got from uh, the greeting cards into actually singing. That's what's coming next after the break. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Hello, thanks for coming back to us here. And I know all of you folks did your homework that I just assigned you there, and you went out to the website and read the modes of engagement and know exactly which one you're currently experiencing. So I'm going to close my eyes and imagine that when I ask you, so how many of you did your homework that a sea of hands is just going up into the sky? So good work. <laughs> so we're back with Marty Ruiz on the show Working on Purpose, and we left him talking about his his progression of career on up to where he is today as a singer. And where we last left him was he was talking about how he had enrolled all of his unsuspecting friends into making greeting cards. So from there, Marty Ruiz, what's going on? What happened next? Thank you, Elise. The next progression was that after I was doing the greeting cards for a while, I realized, you know, there's a greater opportunity here and that I, I don't want to miss this. I found that a lot of people who were looking at my cards and buying them from me at home or in department stores would would run into me at parties or gatherings or DIFA events and say, "We took those three cards you painted of three different women, those little greeting cards, and we framed them, and they now hang in our foyer." And I thought, "Wow, they have three of these cards that they bought for." $18 retail, and who knows how much they spent on them for framing, because good framing could be, you know, $100 on a small piece of art. Sure. And so I spoke with some friends of mine who were doing the art show circuit. Those of you who are here in the Dallas area and in the Metroplex know that we have some incredible art shows. Uh, Cottonwood, we used to have a show called Art Fest. We had one called City Arts. We have uh, some great shows in South Lake and in McKinney. And I was unaware of these art shows at the time, Elise. And so I actually walked them, and I found out that people were taking small pieces of artwork and large canvases and putting them on these professional show walls and selling them for some nice money. And I thought, wow, you know what? I could do this. So I started doing work a little bit larger on paper as well as some canvases. I took some slides, and I applied to these art shows, and what do you know? I got in. I think so much of life is just showing up and trying. It really is. I agree. I agree. So for the first few years, I had a really good run. 
I was doing some fun, colorful art. We are Hispanic. I am Mexican, Italian, Spanish. So we grew up with a lot of color in our household. (laughs) You might say that when I was growing up, if you looked at our living room, it looked as though a piñata exploded and hit the main wall. (laughs) So we we had a lot of variety. So if anybody were to go to my website, it's still up. It's actually martyruiz.com. But it's exclusively referencing images of the artwork that I've done for the last however many years. But these were the pieces that I sold, and almost everything has been sold. Uh, These were all sold at the art shows. And from the art, so many things started changing. Because many artists who do this for a full-time living actually travel quite a bit. They will take the summers and go to cooler climes. They might venture to Colorado. They'll go to Santa Fe. They'll go to Seattle. And they'll do shows where the weather is appropriate for outdoor festivals. We do not do outdoor art shows here in Dallas, Texas, obviously for weather reasons. Well, because I've always liked being close to home, I don't really prefer traveling a whole lot. I wouldn't do a lot of shows in the summer, which meant that most of my business was Dallas-based. So what happened was, for me, most of the people who were buying my art had kind of saturated their purchasing power. Mm. They had maybe three or four pretty sizable paintings gracing their homes. And that's wonderful. I'm very appreciative and grateful for that. But after a while, they would come to the shows and rather than buying another piece of art, they would say, Marty, we love the four pieces we bought from you over the last several years. They just are just so wonderful. People will come to our home and they'll comment on them and just say how much they really appreciate the color and the design and everything about them. And I say, thank you very much. And then they would leave the booth with nothing in their hands. And so Wait, it, come back. Well, come back, come back. I'm still selling stuff. <laughs> and it, what finally occurred to me, Elise, was maybe I've saturated my market. Mm. There's only so many art shows that support artists who are selling work that is one, two, three, four, five thousand dollars. There were only a handful of really galvanized shows here in the Metroplex that cater to that type of artwork. Sure. Now, if you leave the state, you're going to find a lot of other cities that have well-known shows in Denver or Chicago or in Florida, uh, Santa Fe. But there's only a finite number of really strong shows that have a huge presence in Texas. And because I didn't travel a lot, my business started to dwindle. Things started changing. I wasn't doing these shows where I was making thousands of dollars over a two-day period. I was making one maybe $2,000. That's a big difference. In the same amount of time. Yes, it is. Especially if you're only doing 10 to 12 of those shows a year. Oh, yeah. That was my full income because at this time I had already stopped doing massage because the art pretty much took all of my time. So things were now shifting. There was a huge transition in my work and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, what do I need to do now? Yeah. So what did you do? Well, things shifted. They shifted considerably. I had to actually file for bankruptcy. Wow. Which for a self-employed person was kind of devastating. Yeah. I don't mean to make light of that for anybody who's out there listening saying, oh my gosh, this guy's gone out on a limb and he had to file bankruptcy. What is that saying to me? Mm-hmm. Well, what that's saying is that don't let it blow the wind out of your sail. I had to become stronger and more focused Mm -hmm. than I ever had before because I thought I've already left what it means to have a a job working for someone else and I'm fully self-employed. I cannot let this knock me down. Failure doesn't mean when something bad hits you. Failure means when something inevitably hits you and you don't stand up and try to find a way through it. 
I love that. Couldn't agree more. That's beautiful. Uh, thank you. So I had to really address some serious issues. I talked to some friends. I talked to my partner. I talked to some people who were very knowledgeable on, on legal issues. And I even spoke to my CPA. And the one thing that kept coming up was, maybe I just need to go with this and find a way to reinvent what I'm doing. So I did file for my bankruptcy. But through that, I was still having this wonderful life of volunteering. For many years now, I have been volunteering at all these different senior communities around the Metroplex, predominantly here in the Lakewood area where we live. And this is something that I loved doing. And I have been doing this for quite a while now. And I would call various communities saying, hey, Mother's Day is coming up or Easter's around the corner or Valentine's is coming up in three days, which it actually is from right now, from the day of this podcast, this Skyping event. And the activities directors would say, oh, please join us. We love it. Our residents love you. We love it when you come here because you get them involved, you engage them. So I said, I'll be there. Let's pick a day and time. So I would make sure that I would go at a time that was convenient for them. And I would show up and sing and they would applaud. I would hug them. I would learn their names and I'd come home and wait for another opportunity that I could call somebody and book another program for Christmas or Thanksgiving or Labor Day, Memorial Day, July 4th. And it was just joyful. It was so satisfying for me to feel as though I was making a difference for these people. But I had to figure out now that my art career was starting to dwindle, how could I now make a career that had some financial gain to it. Yeah. Eating is good. Yeah. Eating is a good thing. I do it three times a day, sometimes (laughs) four. (laughs) So I had to figure out a plan, Elise. So I spoke to a friend of mine and said, you know, Marty, my mother lives at a senior community not far from where you live. And do you happen to know that they actually have budgets that they will use to pay people to come entertain and I said, wait a minute, hold, 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 hold the line, hold the line. You mean to tell me they pay for people to come sing? They said, absolutely. Now, some communities may have modest budgets. Some may have more ample budgets. And if you're willing to talk to them and perhaps offer them a W-9 and say, hey, if I was to give you an invoice and a W-9 because I am having some financial struggles, would you be willing to pay me something? I got to tell you. I was absolutely flat. I thought they were going to say, sure, we'll give you 20 bucks. Come and sing. It was a little more than 20 bucks. And some communities, true, had a modest budget. And some had a little bit more money to spend because they're a little more posh, a little more luxe. But it was still something that I didn't expect. I was completely blown away because I could now actually make money doing something that I love that I adored, and that I felt made a difference in these people's lives. What in the heck was it like, that moment, when you first made that call, when you, when you first understood, oh my gosh, somebody actually gets paid to do what I've been volunteering for so many years. What was it like? What did it take for you to get your head around making that first call? I felt guilty. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah, sure. Well, well, because this was my passion. This was my hobby. Imagine that you have a hobby mm-hmm. of service, something mm-hmm. that you do because you love it so much that it's not about the money and it never has been. Yeah. How do you think it felt for me to go actually ask? I didn't really have a choice. Sure. I needed to find a way to put food on my on my plate. So when I started doing it, I found that I was actually able to feel a sense of 
pride mm. because now people were willing to pay me mm. for something that I had been giving as an act of love. And what is powerful about that is, you're right, it is when you do something out of the service of your heart, out of the goodness of your heart, because you love it and it's something important to you, that is wonderful in and of itself. But when you get paid to do it, it brings it to a whole new level. It does add more value to it. Absolutely. So, so how long have you been singing in this, in this capacity, getting paid to sing? It's been just the last few years, probably less than five. But I've been singing in senior communities since 1999. Okay, so you've been making your full-time living singing for the last five years. That is correct. Okay, do you realize how amazing that is? It is. I am so grateful (laughs) to be able to do this. And it's not just the singing. It's the fact that I'm being of service to a community that is sometimes forgotten. You know, we look at our seniors, and I say this with great respect for everyone out there, as a society, we tend to put a tremendous amount of love and dedication to our children. Children, as yes. we should. I was just going to say. Mm-hmm. As we should, because they represent our future. But some of the communities that I sing for, many of the residents who are there are in a particular community because maybe it was proximal to where their grown children live. But maybe dads or maybe the grown parent, uh, I'm sorry, the grown child of the senior who lives at this community has now taken a job in another city and he and his wife have now moved to Colorado. Well, maybe mom doesn't have as much support any longer. Maybe her only relative is a grandson or maybe a distant cousin who now sees them periodically. So I realized something very valuable here. When I come in, my goal is to not to fix these missing parts that may be a part of these people's lives because so much of what they had as younger people has been removed. Mm-hmm. Their ability to be independent, yes, to take complete care of themselves, even to drive. And for some people who need higher levels of care, the ability to take care of themselves. So my goal is to come in and remind them musically of those better days. Remember we were talking earlier, Elise, about the sweet spot? Yeah. Those times in our lives? I want to make sure and find the songs that have relevance and have a significant timeline to what these people's lives were like, say, 50 years ago when they were 30 or 40 years old. You know, Marty, I remember so distinctly several years ago seeing a video of you, and I don't remember where where I found it. You sent me so I could see it. I don't remember where it was now, but uh, I did So I did watch that video, and you're singing in the video, and then the the uh, camera pans around to the audience, and there are these wonderful images of people sitting back in their chairs, putting their hands to their faces, their eyes closed, and it's so obvious that they have gone someplace back to their memory, and it is so beautiful. And then meanwhile, there's someone up dancing and clapping and going around you and song, and the whole room in some way is clearly engaged with you. Is that what it's like for you most of the time? Absolutely, Lise. The community is is Windsor Senior Living, and they were doing a story with Dallas Morning News that wanted to address what it means to have music and memories. What is the power of music and memories? Mm -hmm. So actually, our our listeners can go online to DallasMorningNews.com, and if you just type in the words music and memories, you will actually read the story, and you will see a small video clip that's only about two and a half minutes long. And it's interviewing one of the activities directors, one of the executive directors, and also they're interviewing me in just brief snips about what it means to actually have the memory tapped 
by just the right songs. For example, the music and uh, the music that you and I will recall when we're in our senior years, if I make it that far, <laughs> will, will be very different. A lot of it will, for me, will be music of the seventies, because that is when I was in when I was in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. So sure. there will be tremendous heartstrings and and, and uh, memories that will be intact for me. Mm-hmm. And yes, and for me, it's the eighties and the nineties. So I do have to ask, and you know that I, this is something I must do because I'm a researcher, and this is I can't help myself. You've been alluding to this along the way, and there's lots of things in just the natural way you talk about your work. But tell us, what is it that you find meaningful about the work that you do today? Why do you like to go out and sing, and why to this group? When I first started years ago, I was singing with a jazz trio in Houston, Texas. We were called Entourage. <laughs> Perfect. We, we modeled ourselves after... The Manhattan Transfer. Okay. Now, we weren't as talented, but we were as ambitious. We had a pianist, and there was a another male vocalist and a female vocalist, and we worked diligently on trying to create that snappy sound mm-hmm. of the Manhattan Transfer. That was our goal. Okay. Was to have that sort of 40s swing jive sound. So, we had a lot of fun singing that music, and there was a lot of relevance back then. But I found that here in the 1990s, that music that for me was kitsch back then has tremendous relevance Mm. for the seniors that I'm singing to. Again, it's that music of the 1940s. So many of the residents and the seniors that I'm singing for were in the war. They were going to plan to get married as soon as their sweetheart came back from the war. So there is a huge sense of nostalgia that is associated with music right around 1944, 5, 6, 7. That whole late Mm. 40s is very impactful. Mm. So whenever I am singing for the seniors, my goal is to try to find a way to connect. You know, singing is one thing, but making the connection is something that's much deeper. I have some very dear friends who are other singers who sing at communities, and they're lovely, lovely people. I'm crazy about them. And many of them I will sing with. We'll do programs together. Some of them we have a professional relationship. We will refer one another to various communities. If we get a call for a booking and we're not available, I will book somebody else and say, please call this lady. She's looking for you. She needs your skill. But whenever I'm watching certain entertainers, I'm reminded of things that I need to be mindful of in my own work. And that's never miss an opportunity to make a connection. If I see that somebody has a question and they're frantically waving their hand, I'll actually stop the music and I'll say, do you have a question for me? And they'll say, who wrote that song? (laughs) Oh, my gosh, Marty, what you are amazing that you actually have the presence of mind to do that with your crowd. I think that that's so important. And I do want to hear more about that after the break. I know specifically that you have a method to your madness. So as we send you off on break, I want to reiterate what what Marty said. I did go out and look at this myself. Go to type in Dallas Morning News and look look type in music and memories. And if you do that, there is that article. You can see and read more about him. But most importantly, there's a video. And it is so awesome for you to be able to see this man in action. Stay tuned and we'll talk more after the break. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. 
To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Divorce leaves behind some lasting scars. Besides the emotional impact of starting over, keeping your family in order, co-parenting, and the general confusion that comes with it, there are also financial impacts, slow and grueling legal processes, and lack of support and resources to turn to. Tune in to Divorce Sucks, a smart girl's guide to doing it better, with host Laura Maiola. We'll bring you the tools to sort it all out the right way. Every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's one 346 9141 You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Hello and welcome back. I'm so glad you're still with us. And thank you very much for staying tuned with, with me and Marty Ruiz. Isn't he fantastic? I knew he'd be terrific on the show. So here, I'm just happy to have him, and I love the story. I knew that he he would have a lot to share with us. I love his energy, his passion, and I thought you might like that too. So that's why I asked him to come on the show. So we left off. I was asking him to tell us just all the things that he finds meaningful about the work. So he started down that path. So go ahead. What else do you find meaningful about this work and working with this particular crowd? Well, working with seniors is something that is truly unique because, you know, we were mentioning a moment ago what I call the sweet spot, and it's tapping into that time frame. My goal is not to replace the parts that are missing from these people's lives. You know, that would be ridiculous. I'm not a care worker, but I like to refer to my work as a type of musical ministry. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. When I go in, it's important that I find the right songs and the right genres, but also to remember to stay present. I don't ever want to become so mechanical that I just walk in, sing songs and say, thank you, everybody. God bless. And then leave the room. You know, that's, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that if that's where you are with your work. One of my goals is I try to learn a few people's names. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds almost oversimplistic, but if I can learn a few people's names and make myself a reminder of somebody's name who's rather important in the room, you know, there's always what I like to call the king and queen of every community. That's right. Absolutely. It's somebody who's either very verbal or they have a tremendous amount of charisma. They have a lot of presence. I want to make sure that I know who this person is and make sure that I connect with them because others will watch that. They will see that interaction and they will feel like, oh, maybe I can get some of that. So I try to reach out and I will shake people's hands while I'm singing. I will try to nod. I will make sure that I'm looking at their eyes. It doesn't matter if it's independent living, people who are highly cognizant, or if I'm working with people who have memory care. I want to make sure that I try to make a connection with everybody. 
How beautiful is that? And and what I what I recognize about that is that act in of itself, just the way you're saying it, I know that is the meaning piece for you because that's connection. And what I've learned from my psychotherapist friends is we all hunger for connection. That's part of what makes life and work meaningful for us. I'm hearing that in what you're saying. How beautiful is that? Thank you. And why the senior crowd? I happen to know a little something about what's important for this, but let's make sure our listeners understand. Why does it work so well and fit your life to serve seniors? Well, one of the things that works for me, I was mentioning earlier that I used to sing with a group called Entourage, and we were playing in a nightclub in Houston. And of course, in nightclubs, you have a very different clientele. These Indeed. Who are going out for the evening, <laughs> and they're going to have dinner somewhere, and they're going to hit a nightclub at 9 or 10 p.m., have cocktails, and if there is music available, they may, still till, they may stay until 12, 1 o'clock, 2 a.m. So my work nights were really hell. <laughs> I was trying to work a full-time job back then, and I would go to the club, meet my fellow performers, and we would start a program at 9, take a couple of breaks, and we would be done at 2 a.m. I would be home and try to settle in by 3 a.m., which was tough because it threw my body clock off tremendously. And I'm not a smoker, and I would come home reeking of smoke, reeking of alcohol, and that's what being in a nightclub is all about, is to be a part of that environment. And as somebody who's now 62 years old, I don't want to have a job going out at 9 p.m. and working till 2 in the morning. Most of these seniors are pretty active during the day. So one of the most popular times for booking programs is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. What a change. Perfect for me. Uh, There will be a lot of communities that like to have a program immediately before lunch. So there's a lot of bookings that will happen from 1130 until 1230. Then That dining room tends to also be the entertainment room because tables and chairs are there so they can serve snacks, they can serve cocktails in some of the independent living communities. They can actually have a venue where everybody can sit and listen to the entertainer. So we have to make sure to book that room at a time where it's not monopolized by lunch service or dinner service. And many lunches are through 1230 or 1 and dinner in many communities can start as early as 4 p.m. Wonderful. So 3 o'clock tends to be a prime spot for many of the programs that I do. So it gives me a chance to also have a real life of my own in the evenings. There will be places that will book at 1 o'clock. Somebody else may book at 3 o'clock. Some place may want a program right before dinner, like a happy hour at 5 or 5.30 till 6.30. And then I've got three programs in and I'm done for the day. So I actually have a night that I can call my own. Okay, so here's what I love about that. You are talking and describing something something else that people really crave, and that's called work-life integration. The idea that you can do the work that you really want to do, but on your own terms and still have a life and a schedule. That's gorgeous. Absolutely. I mean, I think that is such a beautiful architecture job of the work that you're doing that you created for yourself. Marty, seriously, hats off to you. Thank you. It's amazing. Amazing. And then in addition to that, I know that you're all about being able to be an advocate for other entertainers as well. You've been doing some work to convene them. What's that about? Mm, My face just lit up because I know that several of my friends will be listening to this podcast because I'm going to make them. (laughs) Good. I've had the amazing opportunity for the last couple of years to get to know some of the best friends who I didn't know were going to be my friends. And all of them have the same calling that I do, Lise. Wow. And that is to be of service to our senior communities. These are just wonderful people who many have been doing this a little longer than I have. And it occurred to me one day that because we are all singing at approximately the same times of day, say the middle of the afternoon, we are all at different communities 
performing at the same times, so we really don't get to know one another. So I went to something called the APAGD Vendor Fair. APAGD is a local organization that's referring to Activities Professional Association of Greater Dallas. And this is comprised of activities directors and life enrichment directors. And they have a meeting every other month here in Dallas. And they basically talk about what are the needs, what are the things that we need to know to become more involved and more enlightened in our careers as to how we serve our residents. Well, I started going to these meetings and I found out about the vendor fair and I discovered all these wonderful people who either play the piano, they play the guitar, they do country music, they sing, they do magic, they play the harmonica or the accordion. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to build an alliance with these people? So I have for the last two and a half years compiled a list of probably almost 60 names of people who do wow. different types of musical or entertainment acts. Here, here in the Dallas-Fort Worth here area. Here in the Dallas area. Wow. So this is my personal list that I will extend to any activities director or anybody who's looking for, say, a mariachi band, someone who does magic, a ventriloquist, someone who plays jazz piano, a harpist, someone who plays classical violin, jazz singers. I got a slew of them, folks. I've got some <laughs> wonderful entertainers who just have beautiful pipes and have the ability to connect with seniors. These are the people I love knowing because we all help one another. And by my being able to refer these people, we're all giving work to one another. Mm. Plus, we're helping these activities directors perhaps meet entertainers that they don't know about yet. So, in essence, by helping these people, we're also helping activities directors. We're helping one another. And so, it's what I call a perfect win, win, win. Everybody is getting something of value. You know what I also love about that, Marty, is that at, you are self-employed, as am I. And you're not alone that way so much. That is such a brilliant plan to be able to integrate other people into your world, into your sphere, so that you can lean on each other, gain inspiration from each other, because we all need that. Every single last one of us needs that. And I think what you just did there is a gorgeous way to do that as well. well you're feeding them and yourself and your community. Thank you. I, I have to tell you something. One thing really amazing happened. Because of all of the friends that I have been acquiring who are in the same industry, we've actually been invited and we've started promoting ourselves as groups. Wow. We had a group last November. It was five of us. We called ourselves the Savoy Five. <laughs> and we did a program. Naturally. Of course, the Savoy Five. It has that sort of retro vintage nightclub, supper club feel. And we did a program at a community in far north Plano. And we did it as a group of five. We did mostly solos. And then we did a few group numbers. And from that venue, we've been able to pair off and trio off and do programs as other entertainers. Uh, there's one friend of mine, her name is Rhonda Medina. Hey, Rhonda. And she <laughs> is a top-notch celebrity impersonator. She impersonates Lucy Ricardo. She also does Marilyn Monroe and several others. But when she does her Lucy, I now get to be Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> When she, when she does Marilyn, I get to be Dean Martin. Okay. So we are having so much fun doing this. I'm also working with another entertainer, uh, a very dear friend named Tommy Ray Williams. I'm working with another singer, Sherry Watson. I'm also working with Norris Perry and Paul Anderson and Doc Gibbs. These are all just amazing talents that I'm just so honored to get to share the stage with because every time we work together as a group of two or three or four, we are learning from one another. When I'm on the stage by myself, I'm only going to be able to hone what I know about my personal skill sets. But by learning and interacting with others, I can see other ways to accomplish what my goals are. It's like, wow, 
I never thought about gesturing that way to get somebody to respond. So each one of us learns from one another's mm-hmm. skill brilliant. sets. Brilliant. Again, it's win, win, win. Mm-hmm. That's one of my goals. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. Uh, now, I've asked you a question before about what, what maybe don't you like about your work, and you came up with absolutely a big, dull thud, nothing. But i got to believe that you at least have some challenges in it. What, what is challenging about your work? Is there anything in there? It's going to probably be what I consider the greatest asset of what I do, mm. and that's making the connection. Okay. There will be times and there will be moments where I can look around the room and nothing's happening. I'm not getting the usual response. Maybe people aren't as engaged. They aren't responding. They're not clapping. They're not singing along. And I'm thinking, is it me? Is it me? What am I not putting out there? What opportunity am I not seizing? What am Mm -hmm. I doing that's not quite in the zone? And there was one community that I sang for about a year ago, and I realized everybody was really solemn. And this is typically a very joyful group. And so I asked one of the residents when I was through with the program, and I said, is there anything unusual going on? And she said, we had a couple of people who passed away this week. And I thought, there it is. So there will always be factors that I'm not aware of that may affect the demeanor or what's going on within that community. Mm. Uh, Another event that happened similarly, oh, a few months before, the same scenario. I wasn't getting much response from anything I was doing. And I was singing a lot of rock and roll. And typically people like to clap and sing along with 50s rock. But there was very little response. I found out later from an employee that there had been a tremendous amount of management transition. Oh, okay. And as you know, seniors do not like change. I'm going to repeat that. Seniors do not <laughs> like change. They also don't like being interrupted when they're playing bingo or card games. Right. I learned this the hard way. Right. But seniors typically do not like extreme changes. And management to them is very much an anchoring experience. The people that they see every day who can give them the answers that they need to feel comfortable and safe, if those people are suddenly gone and you bring in new people, these new people have a challenge. They have to make these residents who don't know them feel safe. Okay. Okay, well, that makes complete sense to me. Trying to find a way to reach your audience is probably your biggest challenge. Well, you know, I probably, to that end, I don't think my listeners would forgive me if I didn't ask you to sing a little something before we fell off air. So (laughs) would you just, just a little something, and then I want to talk a little bit about what we talked about in the break, and then we'll have to go away for the week. But just a little something, Marty. Well, sure. This goes out there to all of my friends. This is Valentine's Week, and this is a song that we used as an opening for the Savoy Show. Okay. What a day this has been. What a rare mood I'm in. Why, it's almost like being in love. Oh, see, now we just couldn't have a show without that. Thank you, Marty. You're welcome. Oh, my gosh. So, listeners, please do this for me. If you really enjoyed Marty, I had still another five or six questions I really wanted to ask him. If you want me to bring him back, send me an email to Elise at EliseCortez.com and say, bring Marty back. Um, but a couple of things just to finish off the show here. Um, what I appreciate about your journey is that you did it. You you found a way to be what's called agentic in psychology, which means you made something happen. You went from being bankrupt to having a fantastic career that pays your bills nicely, and you have a nice lifestyle that fits your whole world. It's beautiful, Marty, and you did it. And you were able to actually take all of your past experiences and fold them into this new one, and it's gorgeous. Thank you. Real quick, what was the name of that um, URL we were going to sh- share with the audience? There is a video. If you go to NPR. NPR. 
and you look up memories and music and Alzheimer's, there's a wonderful video of a man named Henry who basically cannot even tell you what his name is, but you put on some headphones, some very personalized music of things that he knew when he was very young, and after about 30 minutes of listening, he has a complete transformation and is able to communicate in a way he typically never does. Again, it's the magic and the power of the right music. Mm-hmm. On NPR. Okay. All right. So to kick us off and get us ready for next week, what we have here is we've got somebody at the total other end of the spectrum coming on of the show. Her name is Patricia Ruiz, no relation. And she's really at a place where she's going to take her past life of being a psychotherapist and really turn it into becoming a business consultant for the disabled community. So I hope you'll join us. Thanks for tuning in this week. Thank you, Marta Ruiz, for being our guest. Hope to see you again. Thank you, Elise. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.